Bill and I do not represent any 12-step fellowship. We're here to share how the literature and the directions contained within the big book have transformed our lives in every way. We are here to share how our experiences with our journey through the steps and what the steps mean to us and how we have seen the steps change the lives of the people that we have worked with. The main focus of this study is to show people that how the design for living can work in anyone's life when the literature is understood and more importantly applied in a practical way, what this looks like in everyday interactions and how the small moments and choices are what add up to amazing new quality of recovery. Uh, creator, I thank you for, for this beautiful day today. Creator, I thank you for, for my life and for my, my awareness and my, my experience. I really want to thank you, Creator, for the time that you've given me in the program. You know, I know that I often say, Creator, you know, it's not how much time you have in the program. It's how much program you have in your time which is really important, but it's also really important to have time to be able to learn and to grow and go through the pains of growing. And I thank you, Creator, for giving me those experiences that, that taught me, that allow me to use to, to teach. Creator, I ask that you guide myself and Janine and the people in this room to, to not having to make the mistakes that often we make to learn the lessons that we're able to rely on other people's experiences to not fall on our face and risk hurting others and relapse ultimately creator i thank you for the the quality gifts that you've given me in my life the relationships with my my daughters and my my family and my good friends Creator, I'm very grateful today for, for my life, and I think I'm so grateful because I see so much shit happening around me right now that, that I'm calm in the storm, but I just fucking facepalm and shake my fucking head. <laughs> Creator, I thank you for my life today. Hi, hi. Oh, God. Um, yeah, today I've been really grateful. Thank you for today. It's been Bill and also for whatever it was that, that I trusted. That's something I don't think I'll ever be able to reconcile is why I trusted the process and others can't or don't. But I did and as we're going through some stuff, we get to go through it together and and when the anxieties come today, I have somewhere to put it. Thank you for the people I can reach out to, to direct me back to you. That I'm not thrown around anymore with opinions and that I've learned that there's nothing else that can replace the connection with you. There's not a person, there's not a relationship, there's not, there's nothing. There's no human power that can calm me in the storm like I've learned how to do with you through people who continue to direct me back to the truth found in you. Amen. Hey, hi. Okay, so we're going to start on page 68. Remember last week I did read the first paragraph of fears. I'll just touch base on it again. I know it's ripped out of my book. I can't really see it, but I think I can remember it. 
Notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside the difficulties with Mr. Brown and Mrs. Jones, the employer and his wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. And remember that, like you people that are online and even you guys in here, fear touches every aspect of our life. That's really important to know because way earlier in the step three, it talked about that we alcoholics are driven by fear and self-delusion. And when you understand that, like our whole lives are driven by fear and self-delusion, you will try to take different action when you come into different situations in your life. And then it's these evil and corroding threat. The fabric of our existence was shot through with it. It set in motion trains of circumstances that brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve. And that can really be extrapolated upon, right? And I spent, I think, a lot of time talking about the trains of circumstances last week that bring us misfortune we didn't deserve. But did we not ourselves set the ball rolling? Did I not way back at the beginning of the, you know, the caboose of the train or the beginning of the train set this ball in motion with a decision I made out of fear, right? Um, an example that I can use that I don't really have articulated in my head, but hopefully it comes, is uh, living in a fear and not saying something when something needs to be said. So if you're in a relationship or you're at work or whatever, and you need to say something that's really important to that person, that boss, that employer, your family member, your dad, but you don't say anything. And then the next five years play out and you never say anything. And you get to this point where you're fucking totally distraught based on this relationship. And basically, when you look at the whole trains of circumstances, you've never said anything. Why? Because you always wanted to avoid that conflict with them, but you've never avoided any fucking conflict with yourself. So you get to the end of this situation and you're fucking in a place where you don't want to be. And then you're typically blaming the employer, the relationship, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, when really we could have said something way fucking earlier and found something out. And we're always aware of red flags when we see red flags, but that's our intuition, but our intuition gets blocked off sometimes. So we need to learn how to not set the ball rolling. And like I said last week, also resentment's not the one offender for me today. Fear is the number one offender. If I don't keep a fucking eye on fear, trust me, resentment's coming down the road. But right today, the number one offender is fear. And it's always like it says in step seven on the very last page, fear that I'm going to miss, lose something I have, or I'm not going to get something I want. All based in the instincts that are listed on the page, first page of step four and the 12 and 12. So that's important shit. But did we not ourselves set the ball rolling? We think fear ought to be classed with stealing it seems to cause more trouble. Another important note, if you don't take action in fear, it will steal relationships. It will steal like moments. It'll steal so much of your fucking life. I shared like last week of that experience with my girlfriend and how we had to navigate that whole thing and how I almost ruined my whole weekend based on the fear that I didn't deal with before I left Calgary to go up to that ceremony. But that's just an example of how that fear could like infiltrate all areas of my life. Like it says, every aspect of my life. 
and fucking take the joy away from something I need to be present in. And then I'm not present in, and I, but I, I was. And then I dealt with it when I got back. But it could steal that away from me, right? It can steal friendships. It'll steal relationships. I've been in a relationship that it stole the relationship. So it's really important to like identify fear in your step 10s. When you get to step 10 and you're working step 10, you fucking work step 10 and identify fear because fear is at the fucking root of all your fucking suffering, all your conflict, everything, all your using, all your fucking escapism. It's at the root of it all. And to find like, you will see maybe some of that in that fourth column in your resentments and shit. But that third column, you'll see the deepness of the fear. It's a deep-rooted fear. And it only comes through, like I said in my prayer, you can have a lot of time in your short program. I mean, a lot of program in your short time, which is really good. And there's a lot of us in here with a lot of program in a short amount of time. And we felt the benefits of that. But the only way to get to that third column and find out the deep roots of that fear is you have to stay sober and you have to continually work the fucking program the way that it's written. If you're just working the theory of that and you've stayed sober a while, that fucking seeking humility is something to be desired will take a long fucking calm a long time. But you won't even know that there's a quicker way because you've already solidified a fucking bad behaviors or bad structure in your program that you just think this is the way it is and then you go to the meetings and share well everyone's got their own path and it fucking comes when it comes which is kind of true but it doesn't have to be that way right it doesn't honest okay i'm going to give a couple of examples go before we move on go for it so <clears throat> last night i spent some time with somebody who's going through some if it's a breakup, I don't know, but some relationship stuff. And we talk about it, where the problem is, where the, we're talking, we're talking, we're talking. And about 40 minutes later, we're starting to see, like, the problem was from the beginning, you get two people come together and it's like, yeah, okay, I like, I like that, even though you don't. And, oh, that's okay, even though it's not. And, yeah. and you know, like, I'm just going to, yes, I like broccoli. Go ahead and cook it. You know, small things. And so it's like, why didn't you say anything? And so we talk about that and we go through some things and then we get down to the fear part. And it was like fear of like just having an awkward conversation and justifying it when we talk about like justifying and rationalizing the dumbest shit. So this is an example of like, I'm not going to say that I, I'm going to pretend to like the broccoli because I don't want to have this awkward conversation. So like this little thing, it's like, it's not a little thing. Because like, if you cannot speak up over the little things, how are you going to speak up on the big deals for one thing? But secondly, it's like you, you, at the beginning of a relationship, you're, you're, you're on the drug of it. You know, you're, you're, a lot of things are just kind of going, going by you. And that's the time you want to have those awkward conversations while there's love in the air, you know? Um, but, but really what's happening is you're pretending to be somebody you're not. So the person, like you're contorting your own self to, to be what this person is projecting that they want you to be and usually vice versa. And then what happens, you know, months go by and then you're in a situation where the love, love effect is dwindling. You're starting to get annoyed over these small things that you said were okay at the beginning. 
and vice versa. And so then, and then and you're not equipped to even deal with it because you've never dealt with the little things like, I don't like the broccoli. So how are you going to have these big conversations? And it was really interesting because it's me listening to it and I'm objective, so I'm not in it. So it's like easier to see for me, but like how unable the person was to see it until they talked about it. So I'm like, I'm going to pick you up for a meeting. Don't send a text. I'm on my way. So I get there. They get in my car and I'm like, oh, I can just see. I'm like, you sent a text. Why'd you do that? <laughs> and then it was like the selfity, self, self, nah, 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 blah, blah, blah. And uh, I'm like, see, it's like subtly, powerfully driven. You just can't even. Like I said, I'd be there in 20 minutes. And within that time, you know, you're -na 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 -na. and what were you trying to get? And then we talked about that. And it's like the need for like the, the attention or the emotional security that they're going to actually text back and like all this like commotion. And uh, we had a really good conversation about the value of like, well, when you have something to say, silence is a lie. And and, and it is because you're not, um, and in the smallest things, those are the biggest lies because you're not giving your, your authentic self. And so you're, the, the, the love that you think you have is not love at all because it's based in ego. It's based in fear. And the person thinks they're falling for somebody who actually they're not. And then you're hitting walls because, you know, the truth, the truth comes to the surface. It will come to the surface you, and, you, and you will meet the enemy on the path traveled to avoid it every time. And then um, one over here that's doodling in the front row there. Okay, well, listen up because I'm going to use your example. So she's uh, goes to work when she was in another city there. And she's working, working, months go by. And then she's talking to me about a couple characters at work. And I'm like, man, you should not be hanging with these people. They're very stressful. Like one of them was even saying to her, like, just yeah. do it good for the plot and using like things like come with me I'm spiraling come on like and I was like this is not like good company and you know you're not you're not growing over here and then we nailed it down to like what happened and it was the same thing it was like these opportunities of to speak up when someone's gossiping instead of just stand by and and what you're actually communicating is that's okay so it's like you're not even not communicating and so the idea that you're saving the conflict is you're just actually putting these deposits in for a big explosion that's going to have a lot more destruction than just the awkward conversation. And I know like if, if I was gossiping to someone and they looked at me and said, can you not gossip in front of me? I would never gossip to that person again because it would be, and I would respect them even if I didn't like them. But that's the way that God will clear these people. When you speak your truth, those people fall away and you don't have to worry about it. But when you don't, they keep coming around and sooner or later you have these situations that you don't even know how to come here. The problems have piled up and they've become astonishingly difficult to solve because you never said anything a thousand times. And, and I, I would say that, 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 that isn't the person, but, but how would you know? Because unless you talk to the person honestly, so to everyone else, that person looked just like all those other people because they're standing around and they're gossiping and not, not in alignment with the authentic self. Just that you would say, that I feel like I don't want to get involved in outside issues, other people's business. So don't bring it around me. Yeah. So she was just saying when she looks back on why she got into that, she was following Bill's advice on don't get involved in outside issues. 
And she was saying, how do I navigate that? Because I was trying not to get into it by speaking. So I was just standing there, like letting it go. And I was saying, you actually say, I don't want to get involved in other people's stuff. So I appreciate it. Because I don't get involved in business. So don't bring it to me. Okay. But I want to talk on that for one sec. So we're in step four right now. There's a tradition that goes with this step. Okay. The tradition is AA has no opinion on outside issues. Okay. Uh, sorry. Uh, each group is autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. So each group is autonomous. Every group has the right to do whatever the fuck they want, as long as they don't affect other groups or AA as a whole. I'm autonomous also. Okay. So when I take that tradition, I bring it into the step. It's like Bill Ward is autonomous. And I have no right to affect other people or the world as a whole with my shit, right? So when I say um, AA has no opinion on outside issues, hence the AA ought not be drawn in public controversy. Bill Ward has no opinion. You have no opinion on outside issues. Hence the, the name, my name not drawn into other people's controversy. So that's really important. But the other parts of the work have to come before these things become real. So like, I'm not saying, what I am saying is you got to do the work to have these traditions and what we're saying to be real, right? So if I'm not allowing outside opinions and I'm not saying anything based on my insecurities, that's not fucking autonomy. That's me in defective character. That's not me being grounded in fucking God where my autonomy needs to be. That's me being fucking grounded in fear and afraid to say something because I can't speak my truth. If I'm grounded in God, I can step into that and go, you know what? I don't want to be a part of this, right? So we can rationalize and justify anything to suit us at any point in this journey. But it's way harder to justify ourselves when we've actually done all the work and we're continuing to do the work. So it's important to be have done the work and continue to do the work so that the truth is the fucking truth, right? And through the journey of truth, sometimes we have to stand in what's not the truth. So that was your truth in the moment. But it's not the truth because the truth lies within love. So on your journey to truth, it's important that you stand in the truth because to the journey to truth has, you have to stand in fear first. And that won't make sense maybe to some people right now, but in like four years, it will. <laughs> I also just want to say that it's, it's more complicated than that. Like looking at the columns, it was like, that was that was the the behavior that was happening based in fear, but but the effects my like what what it was affecting is the the need to belong, like the emotional connection and the the reputation aspect, and like wanting to fit in in a workplace, and so like knowing like where the needs are, and these are the instincts that yeah. that Bill talks about, like the third the, column, yeah, and so those instincts, those are the things that are driving us, right? So we want we want to belong and we want to be connected, and those things are. That they are are our human needs. Like we, that's why they're instincts. Because we would we would wander off, um, and then we would die. Because we need our human beings to connect in a group, and that's how the caveman rolled. Because otherwise, they would, if they just spread out, they wouldn't be alive. So we have that hardwired, and so to be aware of that, because we need that, and so 
that drives the the fear of so the fear of not being belonging out in, in a workplace is what drove the behavior so it was more than just I'm scared to speak up because it's like because it's awkward it's like it's deeper than that it's like instinctually I want to belong and I don't want to be excluded and so that's when it's like it's deeper and it affects my it's more than just the fear of conflict when you take it like when he's talking about the tree and you're taking it down and you're taking it down it, it's it's deeper than that all the time it's deeper than you like I, one time he was doing this go seven layers so we were doing that and it's like that gets you there too so it's like if you're just talking through like why am I scared of conflict well why am I scared of the, and keep going keep going keep going and it will come down to the the instincts and to that she's a hundred percent exactly bang on to that um if somebody's working that solid program, they're going to come back to that third column eventually anyway, because you can't help but come to the third column when you're working the program in its entirety, right? So then that truth of the third column reveals itself, and then you can actually step into that and, and speak from a different place than if you're just like living the best you can and trying to implement the principles into your life based on the theory of what this is. Does that make sense? Um, this is where the time piece comes in because it's like you can go through the steps quickly, right? Like you can go through the book as quick as you want. If you stay up all night and drink a lot of coffee, you can probably go through it in 24 hours, right? But you don't have the time of pissing around in self. So it's like you need to have these experiences of, you know, like what it, like what a disaster I just made. Oh, I did it again. Oh, and I did it again. And having people be like, you got the ball rolling way back here and look at how it just, you know, the, uh, the classic example of my mom's stupid shampoo, you know, that was a month of just, it was ridiculous. And, and that was just one small little decision that she should have said, no, thanks. I just bought some and it and ended in tears. And there was like, it was a commotion. And so, you know, like she, my mom doesn't have, well, she has me, but when I tell her, she just thinks the program's for me. So good for me but not for her but um being here around people who are doing this stuff they can point out like okay but way back here you got the ball rolling and then you know your snowball picked up other people and other debris <laughs> and then we you know <laughs> it's a big event <laughs> so well, then you then you learn but you need the time to collect the wreckage of your your small moments that you should have done something else and that becomes the proof right we're talking six and seven here like that that's the proof and then you become willing through the pain and at the end of the day the book says we had to have god's help so that's that's the piece you got to bring in too is that when when we have fear we need faith okay so let's keep reading but lots of good stuff going on here okay so Fear ought to be classed as stealing. It seems to cause more harm. So we're getting into like the columns of the fear, okay? So there's two ways I'll do fears with a sponsee. One, if they're brand new, I'm going to do it a certain way. And I'll describe that way. And then if they're a little more experienced, and then I'll, I'll explain what I'll do in that case. And then Janine can describe what she does. I'm not exactly sure how she does it. But so one. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. So we write down the fears. I will get somebody to write down every fear that they have. Okay. Um, fear of spiders, fear of fucking, you know, not getting what you want, fear of being in a relationship, fear of not being in a relationship, 
fear of being vulnerable, fear of like somebody cheating, fear of dying, fear of relapse, whatever the fears you have in your life, I will personally ask you to write down every single fear that you can think of, okay? We put them on paper, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. Two, this is a little baby number two. We asked ourselves why we had them. So then the second column becomes, why do I have the fear? First column is the fear. Second column is, why do I have the fear? And then three, this is what I'll do for somebody more experienced. So I'm actually not going to, okay. Okay, I'm, I'll just do it this way. Three, wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? So that'll be the third column. Where did self-reliance fail me? How did this, me working this my own way, how does it fail me? Okay. Self-reliance was good, but as far as it went, but we once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. Perhaps there is a better way. We think so if we were now on a different basis. The basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role that he assigns. Just to the extent that we do as he think we would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? Okay. So I want you to erase the baby number three. Okay, sorry about that. And I'm going to talk about this, this paragraph for a second. Um, perhaps there is a better way. So we think so if we were now on a different basis. When I'm working some with somebody and I get right here, I really implore this paragraph. We are on a different basis of life now. We have fucking made a step three decision where we're turning our will and our life over. We are no longer running the show. We're going to learn how to fucking turn this over. So we're on a different basis. The basis of trusting and relying upon God, the foundation. We trust infinite God rather than our finite self. So first we have to see what that line is saying and what it's not saying, okay? We don't trust ourselves anymore. We have to trust fucking God. How do we trust God? Well, when we're new, we fucking trust other people. We trust other people's opinions more than ours. So one of the first things Janine said to me tonight when she came into the study she walked up to me. She gave me a big hug. She said, I fucking love you. She says, I'm so glad I trust what you said, trusted what you said at the beginning because you were fucking right. Because she gave her faith was to God, but a lot of it was to me as a pillar. And she fucking like had blind faith in some of this shit because left to her own devices, she'll fuck it up. And you know, having that faith in me was really important because you just believe that my faith, I believe. And then it, I didn't steer her the wrong way because I fucking have no motive to steer somebody the wrong way. Somebody else might have, but I didn't and I won't. And so she relied a lot on me heavily and went against her own fucking better judgment sometimes. And when this doesn't seem right to her logically, but I'm going to try it anyway. So when we're new, we really have to listen to other fucking people, not our fucking selves, okay? Which is why it's important in the fucking years you're in recovery to fucking have sponsors and God-centered 12-step pillars. 
And I can show you the evidence out there. And if you stick around, you can see the evidence of the people who are very emotionally stable and the ones who aren't. The ones who are still fucking around and the ones who are fucking working well with their life and God. It, it becomes apparent, but you can't see that until you got some fucking time. Okay. And there's a lot like you got to remember us alcoholics are master fucking manipulators. Okay. We are masters at wearing masks and being actors, which is why the step three talks about the fucking actor. We can be fucking actors in here. There's a lot of fucking actors in the program. So don't fucking just go and fucking trust everybody either. Like that's why when we say bounce your shit off of God-centered 12-step pillars, that's important. Okay? So um, we trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. Don't trust yourself. But clear the channel and use your intuition and start learning how to sharpen the intuition and use your intuition. Make those mistakes. Make your mistakes that you got to make with your best judgment, with your pillars, and fucking learn how to sharpen your own intuition too. So I'm not saying don't trust yourself at all because there's a balance here, right? So we're in the world. We are in the world to play the role that he assigned. Just to the extent this is important. That's telling me something. Just to the extent that we do as he think we would have us, and we humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? So to what extent am I going to do as I think my God would have me do, and humbly rely and trust on that? To that extent, will, will I allow God to match my calamity with his serenity? But can I just do that because I want to? Fuck no. That's the difference between the theory of God and fucking actually God. That's the difference between um, trauma intuition and fucking real intuition. So trauma intuition to the person using it looks like real intuition. But real intuition is based on love. Trauma intuition is based in fear. And you can't always see that, which is why it's important, again, to use God-centered 12-step pillars. So when you are using your intuition in your life, and you're like, fuck, this really resonates with me. It's sitting right. This is the decision I'm going to make. I'm going to get into this relationship. I'm going to fucking take this job. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to fucking whatever it might be. Your intuition is going to tell you. Now we take that. Okay, God-centered 12-step pillars. I've discerned on this. I prayed on it. This is what I've come up with. And here's some of the reasons why. What do you think? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Have blah, 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 blah. And now new questions come up. And now you recalibrate your intuition. So you get five people saying, that's a probably a pretty bad idea. I don't know if I'd listen to that. You better really think, double think your intuition. Right? You can make that choice. Probably none of your pillars are going to say, don't do it. Maybe they will. You're going to be left up to your own choice. Then you make that choice. And if you go against your five pillars decision, that's your choice. Hopefully you don't drink over it. The chances are you might go. That's the thing with us. We could die on some of these decisions. Or you don't make that choice and you let it play out and go, fuck, am I ever glad I listened to you guys? So it takes time to sharpen intuition, but it's really important to at least start. 
right? Because if you don't start, you can't sharpen it. And if you don't follow the directions in the book, the intuition doesn't sharpen as sharp as, as sharpenly. So most of us have been taught to problem solve, weigh the pros and the cons and make decisions like that, okay? And if even if we get an intuition, we'll often recalibrate it with our thinking and fuck up the intuition. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to not get caught up in what we fucking learn, which is problem solving tactics using logic and common sense. Because the logic and common sense will steer you the wrong way. Okay. Now we use that in alignment with intuition, with prayer, with meditation together. And then, so I just want to highlight kind of what we're saying while we're on this, on page um, 85, which is way ahead, but let's touch base on it anyway. The bottom of 85, it talks about, much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. Remember, this is at step 10, okay? So we've done a ton of fucking work up to this point. And we have to understand what step 10 is. So step 10 is on the previous page. Okay. This step 10 is the one that's in the fucking book. Not the one that's on the wall at the fucking meeting. Not the one that you fucking learned that treatment. It's in the book. And I'm going to read it. As you look at halfway down 84. Now halfway down that paragraph. You'll see it says continue. To watch for selfishness dishonesty resentment and fear that's the awareness you've got to be fucking aware of what you're thinking what you're feeling in the moments of life okay and when you're aware and you fucking identify the shit in your life on the spot on the spot on the spot when these crop up in your day-to-day -day march in the moment-by-moment -moment interactions with the world you ask god to remove them right now god's always the first go-to sponsor and then it says we discuss them with somebody immediately. Boom, there's a direction. Ask God, talk to someone now, immediately. Not fucking next week. Not once you fucking logically tried to figure it out and sort it out and make it worse. Okay. Now, make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. If. What do we hear in the rooms? Step 10 is, oh, I promptly admit that I'm wrong and then I'm going to make an apology to you. That's what fucking everyone thinks step 10 is. That is a long, comma, long fucking way around to humility. That is trying to practice a principle in your affair, which is self-willing a principle, which is still based in self. This isn't. This is a process. And you make amends quickly if you have harmed anyone. But part of that amend will come from the call that you just made. Because the person that you called is going to say, hey, fuck, you owe an amend, bro. Right? Because they're going to help walk you through what the step four actually is in that phone call. You're going to come down to the causes and conditions. You're going to fucking see how your fucking decisions and your decision making actually is causing your failure. What your part is. And then they'll help guide you through the six, seven, eight, nine. Right? And then it says, then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. You follow that process right there. And it'll take you to fucking God. It'll clear the channel, it'll keep the channel clear, and it'll allow you to fucking be present in the moment. There's one who has all knowledge of power, that one is God. You must find him now, that's now. That is your now, that keeps you present right here, right now. And, keeps, and keeps the channel clear. Keeps so that the you channel can have clear. the intuition that's not the 
And when he's saying trauma intuition, it's like, there's a couple of ways that I look at that is that, you know, you go through traumatic events and then you will have the hypervigilance around that and, and look at things a certain way. Um, but then there's also the little T trauma that he talks about that you got your society and you got your church and you got your parents and you got all these things that are, are informing your decision-making that, that is actually like a way that your intuition or your thinking has been infiltrated with this shit. Right. So, so that can, that self, and that can be blinded to it. Right. So through the step 10 process, you keep the channel clear so that you can have intuitive thoughts that um, are from God is where we're supposed to be getting it, but we can't when we're so blocked. So step 10 keeps that channel clear. And then I'll keep reading. Love and tolerance of others is our code. Okay, great. Sometimes love and tolerance has to start with fucking hate and tolerate. That's how it might be how it starts, how it started with me. But I practice this process over and over and over and over and over, sometimes a hundred times a day. When we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. So who do I quit fighting? Anyone? Ourself. Mm -hmm. Because the fight is not with you. It's never with you. It's always with me. Because you're not living up to an idea or a, a viewpoint or an opinion or a way that I think you should live up to. And that's okay for me to disagree with what you're doing. But I have no right for my autonomy to affect you. That's where I need to keep myself in check. Through my own autonomy. So... Bill Ward has uh, no opinion on outside issues. Hence, my, my fucking drama shouldn't cause you drama. So I keep that to myself. But when I work this process, and I work all the processes, I come to an acceptance and go, okay, other people are emotional, spiritually sick, and they're fucking wrong too. Just like I was a lot of my life and can be still. So I don't have any judgment even on what the fuck you're doing, Okay. Um, we so we cease fight everything or anyone. If I don't fight you and I don't fight me, I'm gonna fight alcohol because alcohol is my solution to the fight I have in my fucking head. For this time, sanity will have returned. What is the real sanity that returns? I'm not running my life, God is because when I run my life, it's fucking insanity. But that only comes with time, also. You can't see how fucking your life is so fucked by your own decision making until you stay sober at first it's about the alcohol but in two and three years in you're like holy fuck when i make decisions in my life i fucking suffer and so do other people so being convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success way more in sobriety than it ever did through any substance steps that i did okay and then if um we will be seldom interested in liquor. Let's get the liquor the fuck out of there. I will seldom be interested in anger, in lust, in judgment. Because I've learned I don't need to get involved in your shit. I don't need to get involved in anyone else's stuff. Or my own shit. If tempted, if tempted by a hot piece of pussy, I recoil with from a hot flame. I don't need that. Why? Because that is a decision based on self, ready to blow up my fucking life. No, I'm serious. We know. <laughs> but that's kind of it. Like, if tempted, you recoil from your defects as from a hot flame. 
You want nothing to do with what you used to fucking interact with in your life. And because you're convinced, you've become convinced that that is just a road to disaster or uh, unhappiness or like you're, you're going to be disappointed at a minimum. But by this point, you, you stop fighting and you're just, you lose interest because you've grown past it. Okay. And so next page. Um, quickly, we will see that our new attitude towards liquor has been given us with any, without any thought or effort on our part. What does attitude mean? It means God. We will see that our new attitude towards liquor, towards lust, towards judgment, towards hate, and God is love. So our new attitude of love towards anything has been given to us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. How does it come? Well, that's the miracle of it. It comes through the steps. It comes through step 10 right here. It comes through you understanding this step 10 might not be enough, but you have a whole process of watching for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Okay, I, we're going through resentment inventory right now in the step four we're doing. So I have a process to deal with resentments that don't go away if step 10 doesn't cap it off. I go back, I write down that one name, who you are, why I'm resentful, the third column, the fourth column, what's my part? I fucking do a step five on one resentment. I become willing to let go of my part and I fucking move on. Maybe I make an amends. If I need to, I do. And I get rid of that right now. Maybe I'm living in fear. I have a full fear inventory to be able to deal with the fear too. And the fears are going to constantly come up. So you should always going back, not to your step 10, but back to a step fucking four dealing with fear inventory because you have a whole process for it. But what don't you have an inventory process for? Selfishness or dishonesty? How do you deal with selfishness or dishonesty? Anyone? Yes. You listen. You pray, you meditate, you talk to other people, and you can listen to yourself. And when you, you'll know if you're being fucking dishonest. And if you don't know, talking with your God-centered pillars will help you become honest with yourself because I'm good at fucking asking the right questions. I know where people are self-delusional. I know how to ask the questions. I can see a mile away when a person's saying something to me and they're not really giving me the, all the chips. I'll ask them all the questions to dig out all the chips. And sometimes they don't even know that they're doing it. That's the thing. Because we're blinded, right? Instincts balk at investigation. The instincts on rampage will balk, meaning not want to be seen, at the investigation of, of them. So it's nice to have the pillars that are good at this so that you can fucking see that. But the thing about seeing some of it is it fucking hurts and you don't get what you fucking want. Well, that's part of the deal. So anyway, um, back to the page 85. So much, bottom of the page, much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him, from God, who has all the knowledge. The knowledge that we need comes from God and the power. So we don't rely on our fucking power anymore or our knowledge, which is why Brandon and I talked about use logic common sense but fucking match it with fucking spiritual processes and wait for your fucking answers talking to god-centered pillars and then it goes on to say 
if we have carefully followed fucking what? Directions. Not your fucking opinion theories and your fucking own best interest. Right? It says directions. We have begun to sense the flow of the spirit into us. If we follow the directions as laid out, we will feel God working in and through us. Okay. And on the other page, it says we have entered into the world of the spirit. We enter into the world of God through the processes laid out here, following the directions. If we have carefully followed these directions, what is the literature saying again, Brandon? It's saying carefully follow these directions, meaning let's look at what it's saying and let's do that. Then it says we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. So then I get to sense that, that consciousness of God flowing into me. Okay? To some extent, we have become what? God conscious. I have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. This vital sixth sense, the one that's really important for me to live my life, but the one that gives me life. That vital sixth sense, it gives me the enjoyment, the, the fucking zest for life, right? But So I've begun to develop this sixth sense, but now I must go further. And this re requires more action. So the more action is step 11, suggest prayer and meditation. Why is step 11 like uh, the more action? Because I'm keeping the channel clear with the step 10. I'm keeping the channel clear. So now I can go into step 11. Prayer meditation, better than, than us who have been using it constantly. It works when we have the proper attitude. What's the attitude? God, love. So now I'm fucking invested in God. I'm invested in love. I have the attitude of love in everything I do because I've worked the step 10, how it's laid out over time. And then, um, and we work at it. So now that step 11 that has zero to 10 guy limit that we've only fucking seen at a one out of 10, but we think we're using it to its max ability because we only know what we fucking know. But what's more important than what we fucking know? What we don't fucking know. So we go back to what it says and we uncap that one out of 10 and we have an unlimited supply of fucking God, power, knowledge that we don't have to fucking run our lives anymore. What used to be a hunch or occasional inspiration now gradually becomes a working part of your mind. You're not burning up energy foolishly trying to fucking figure shit out because God's running the fucking show off intuition. And when you run off intuition, you got lots of energy because you're running off of fucking God dope and you're not fucking getting burnt up. And that's my experience. Totally my experience. I don't get fucking burnt up myself because I'm not running my life for the most part. So I don't, people are always like, oh, how do you do it? How do you work with 10 people? How do you work your job and do all these things? And I'm like, fuck, I don't know. I just think God fucking does it. <laughs> so I don't get fucking burnt out. But I'll tell you, I will get burnt out when I share experiences like I did last week with my girlfriend where I'm fucking pulling the levers. Then I'm fucking exhausted, right? And I need to fucking go to sleep. Anyway. Okay, let's keep going. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go back to page 68. We'll just kind of hopefully bounce through that quickly now. Middle of the page. We never apologize to anyone for depending on our creator. 
We can laugh at those who think spirituality is the way of weakness. Paradoxically, paradoxically is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith has means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. Okay, so, so for new people, this is what I'll do. Write down your fears. Ask yourself why you have the fear. And then we go down here, and it's like uh, we ask God to remove the fear. So you're going to look at the fear. You're going to ask yourself why you have the fear. You have a good talk with your sponsor about why you have the fear. And typically, you know, the fear is going to re reveal itself kind of where it comes from, what it is. The deep-rootedness may not totally come right away because you only understand fears to a certain depth. But at some point down the road, if you keep working your program, the deep-rootedness of the fear, the third column kind of essence of it, it will reveal itself over time. And some of these fears are like deeply ingrained in us through society, typically, or your journey of life and the traumas that you've been through and blah, blah, blah. If we're going with a three-column system, we ask God to remove our fear, which is the third column, and then direct our attention to what he would have us be would be the fourth column, okay? Say it again. Okay, so first column is review your fears, write them down, who it is. Second column is ask yourself why you have the fear. Third column is ask God to remove the fear. Fourth column is direct your attention to what God would have you be. Okay. And then what would God have you be instead of that fear? Okay. Not what God, what God would have you do. Typically, it's not what God would have you do instead of the fear. It's what would he have you be instead of the fear. Through the being, the doing kind of lays itself out. So let's just say. Uh, yeah, become you become required to change. So I'm I'm in a fear of my girlfriend's gonna leave me. That fear cre creeps in my head sometimes. Yeah, every now and then. It's not really a logical fear, but I remember I'm in self delusion. Right? I live in self delusion. I live in fear. So every now and then, that could come into my head, and then. In, so I ask God to remove that fear. I will usually discuss it with somebody, right? And then I will direct my attention. What, what, what would God have me be instead of the fear? Well, he's going to have me be a loving and caring and kind and fucking vulnerable and honest boyfriend. And if I have whatever fears, I'm asking God to fucking help me have the courage to go have the conversation with her over whatever fear that I might be having. But first, I always fucking tackle these relationship things on the flank. Like, a lot of relationship shit, and it talks about it in the step nine. You, you tackle it on the flank. So you don't always go head-to-head -head combat in your relationship shit, which is why we have sponsors. Because sometimes we can have too much self going into these conversations with our intimate partners. And we actually make it worse. Okay? So we attack it on the flank, which means I have my pillars and my sponsor, and I can ask some questions and kind of get some clarity. Then if I need to, I can bring it forth. 
Because not everything needs to be brought forth because sometimes it's fucking my shit only. And I shouldn't always be bringing it forth. So I got to deal with it on the flank, right? So not everything's black and white again. Well, the fear of people pleasing, the people pleasing is not the fear. People pleasing is the result of the fear. And so what's the fear? That's the question. So your, your fear that you're going to lose something that you love, which is your kids, because someone's threatening you with CPS. So instead of you spinning down the rabbit hole of that fear, you already know, you got experience, you ask God, creator, to take this fear. And then you typically, because you've been doing this well, you direct your attention to what God would have you be. What's that? And what you Being said a good mom. Like, and not going all over social media because nothing says unwell, like going all over social media and posting it, right? Because what you said, the truth doesn't need justification. Okay. So yes, Anna, a couple of good things on that. So keep off the social media with our drama and you don't have to justify the truth you know. And when you do, when you have people pointing stuff out to you, that's your indicator. If you get defensive, it's you. Like, so the minute you find yourself defending stuff, just stop. And that's the spiritual axiom, right? When you're disturbed, it's you. So your own defensiveness is pointing to you and look at it. And, and, and don't stop at the defensiveness. Actually take a look at it because that's the indicator. Okay. So, so I gave you guys like basically the four columns. There's two more columns that you can run with. Okay, when you have more experience in recovery and you understand self more, where has self-reliance failed you? And where can God-reliance work for you? Okay, so then you really write out, where is God-reliant or self-reliance failed you? Where is your own best decision-making in fears? What happens when you make the decisions? And what does it look like? Where has self-reliance failed you? And where has God-reliance worked for you? Or where could God-reliance work for you, okay? And that's why I say use those two aspects when you're later in recovery because a lot of people don't know how God-reliance can work for them when they're too new, okay? And they maybe don't even understand how self-reliance has fully failed them because a lot of the things we do in self when we were first here, it actually it looked like it works pretty good. So that stuff kind of comes later, right? Yeah. Writing those down is a good idea. Okay. And so, and then it says that once we commence to outgrow fear. So it says we begin. Commencing means to begin. But that's if we follow the process. <laughs> so there's processes here. This whole page is like process. This is a page that I'll give people to read as part of their daily or nightly readings too. Because it says a lot of things. It says we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. That's the basis we got to go into every morning when. I'm on now a new basis, new footing of trusting and relying upon God, not me anymore. And just to the extent that I do what I think God would have me, and I humbly rely on him, does he enable me to match calamity, my own calamity with his serenity? And that doesn't just reverse because you fucking wanted to, right? I'm going to use my friend here, Janine, as an example of that. Like her calamity was relentless sometimes. And she could only rely on God and humbly rely on him to a fucking small degree. But as she practiced and practiced and practiced from when I met her to where she is today, 
it's fucking way he's grown so much. Like I know a whole bunch of people. I was talking with a guy last night who I met like fucking six, eight months ago at a meeting. And he was not the healthiest, but he's been doing certain things and trying and learning. And then I seen him last night. We had a good chat. And I'm like, dude, from where I met you to where you are today, like fucking your miles ahead. Although you got miles to go because the people in it can't always see their own growth, right? But it, it works when you fucking chip away at it. And that's the thing, especially with people with depression and high anxiety. Fucking if they don't chip away at this, the old patterns hook them in. And then they think the shit doesn't work for them, but really it does work. They got to put a little more extra effort into the self pity when it creeps up and the, all the shit that causes all that stuff. It's harder for certain people than it is for others. Anyway, anything else? Um, well, the question of what do I do when it comes to this is I just do what my sponsor did, which was write down the fears and then she was like why do you have them and so it was like i'm scared of water why because my friends this is just an example but my friends whatever died in their pond something like that right like why did we have these fears and so that was what she did with me and then um <clears throat> i do have this noted that i had like all of my book is written in right and except for this part about why did we have fears so when I first came in, I had two fears, which was um, at like avoidance and, or no, two defects, self-reliance and avoidance. And so she asked me one day, she goes, so why do we have fear? Why does the book say that we have fear? And I was like, I don't know. Why does it? So she directs me to this page and it was like the only paragraph that didn't have anything and it was like, because self-reliance failed us. And she used the example that made so much sense to me at the time that if you're scared of the dark and you know that like, you're not supposed to be scared of the dark and like, you're telling yourself not to be scared of the dark, that's not enough. That's not enough to actually get over the fear of being scared of the dark. Because if it was enough, you'd just tell your kid not to be scared of the dark and they'd be able to not be scared of the dark but they have the fear of the dark and they can't get over it. So it's, it's, you can't get over your own fears without God's help. Why'd you have the fears? And we unpacked that in the five, which we can get to later. But that was a big, powerful paragraph for me, like the whole self-reliance, because it was really personal to me because that was like, I, I had a hard time identifying more defects that I, that I considered defects because I thought a lot of the things worked for me. And it took a bit to actually, it took through this process to, to show me the, the defects that I wasn't able to see how they were harming me. But self-reliance was one that was very obvious. And so this really meant a lot to me because I was so willing to change and it was like, okay, I need to ask for help. And the paragraph was important to that. And, and, it, and it spoke to like why I was having the fears and that got my curiosity. So now it's a big box and it reminds me that I need to be asking for help. And as you discuss the fears on your list, and most fear lists should have at least 20 fears, right? That's why I told Troy, like, if you only have two, probably missing 20. Um, some of your fear lists might have 40 or 50. But regardless of how many you have, um, as you discuss the fear, you will see how your own self-delusion has built fear. And you will see how God has given us certain fears to live and survive. So some are God-given fear that when we work with that fear properly, it doesn't really harm us, right? Um, like if you're scared of sharks, 
um, and you live in fucking Northwest Territories, uh, like, it's not really a big deal, right? There's really no need to, like, be scared of sharks. And if you really are that scared of sharks and you go to Hawaii, don't go swimming in the fucking ocean, right? Like, there's certain things, like, and people blow fears out of the water and it's, it's retarded. Um, but then there's certain fears that are good for you, right? Like, you know, the fear of uh, being hit walking, jaywalking, right? Don't jaywalk, Matt, because you'll get fucking hit by a fucking car or a train. Like, there's good fears and there's bad fears, right? There's rational fears and irrational fears. A lot of times I'll do that. Is this a rational fear or irrational fear? You know, well, I'm worried that my, I'm going to die of a fucking drug overdose. Okay, you're fucking 15 years sober. You've been working a program solidly for 15 years. You got 200 sponsees out there. You fucking, you're like nowhere close to a fucking relapse. Like, is this rational? No, you're fucking, you work a program. It's not even a rational fear. It's irrational. And even though he has it, it's like, okay, ask God to remove it. Ask God to remove it. Direct your attention to what he would have you be. What's he going to have you be? He's going to have you work a program. He's going to have you fucking help others. He's going to have you do all the things that you already fucking do. That's why it's irrational. Right? Like showing, and like if somebody came to me and they had that at 15 years and they were working a solid program, I'd be fucking skeptical and I'd be going, what the fuck's going on here? But, you know, as you work with enough people as a sponsor and you go through fears, you get better at kind of identifying this and you will see how deep rooted certain ones are. A lot of the men fears are rooted in like finance, in money and in status, peer status, which boils down to emotional security. And, uh, and peer status can look like many different things. The woman they have with them, the job, the money, the car, the watch, the clothes, how they interact with their, their fellow guys at work, how they interact with the hockey team. Like there's a lot of like validation in all of the fears. A lot of the fears are based in validation and wanting like Janine talked earlier, security within your family or within other people. And out of all of the things that we do in this program, I'll say most of the issues that come from defects of character, when you get down into the roots of the tree where it comes from it's almost always tied to some type of emotional security even though there's companionship and sex relation and there's emotional security too right most of it's emotional security okay now about sex so this is sex conduct but it's not really sex conduct it's relationship conduct so for me as a sponsor I make the person go back to the beginning of their, like, you know, grade three, when you first started dating. Okay. Maybe you had a girlfriend, wasn't even a real relationship, probably. It was like, oh, I'm going to write a note. Now I'm going out with Mary, but I never talked to her. Right. But these things are important, right? How many Marys did you date and didn't talk to? That stuff starts becoming revealing. <laughs> Is that why you're not talking to your wife, Mary, at fucking 50 years old? And you guys live in different parts of the house? Like, what's going on here? Right? 
So I, I get them to go back to the beginning of their life and write down all the names of the women or the girls that they've been with. Um, so they write them all down. Anyway, let's read. You want to read? Many of us needed an overhauling there, but above all, we tried to be sensible on this question. It's so easy to get off track. Here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd, absurd extremes perhaps. One set of voices cry that sex is a lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think that we do not have enough of it or that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow no flavor for his fare and the other would have us all on a straight pepper diet. We want to stay out of this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We hardly be human if we didn't, but what can we do about them? We reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? Whom had we hurt? Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault and what should we have done instead? We got this down on paper and looked at it. In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sex ideal for our future sex life. We subjected each relationship to this test. Was it selfish or not? We asked God to mold our ideals and help us to live up to them. We remembered always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised and loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow towards it. We must be willing to make amends where we have done harm, provided that we do not bring about more harm in doing it. In other words, we treat sex as we would any other problem. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with persons is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid hysterical thinking or advice. Suppose we fall short on our chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we're going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half truth. It depends on us and our motives. If we are sorry for what we've done and have the honest desire to let God take us to better things, we believe that we will be forgiven and have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are sure to drink. We are not theorizing. These facts are out of our experience. To sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity, and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. If we have been thorough about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. We have begun to comprehend their futility and fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill towards men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and are willing to straighten out the past if, if we can. Finish it off. You're just going to go back. In this yep. book, you will read again and again that faith did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him. If you have already made a decision, an inventory of your grosser handicaps, you have made a good beginning. That you being you have swallowed and digested some big truths about chunks of truth about yourself. Okay. Back to 69. 
Then we have voices that cry for sex, more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think most of the troubles of the race, human race, are traceable sex causes. They think we do not have enough, that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school would allow a man no flavor for his fare, which means no sex. And the other would have us on a straight pepper diet, which means just sex. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. So when I work with somebody, I let them know, like, I don't care. Okay? I don't care what it says in your sex conduct. I really don't care. I'm not here to be the arbiter of it, but I am here to show you some shit. You want to grow? Do you want to learn? Yeah, yeah, they do, they do, they do, right? Well, they usually say they do, but they don't always want to. Um, we all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? We reviewed our own conduct over the years past. Okay, so in the sex conduct inventory, there's going to be five columns. You're going to see here, it says, where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? If you want to put little baby numbers here in your books and kind of list these columns, that will be column two. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? You should have a little baby number two there. Uh, second paragraph on 69. Yeah. So number two, right before where had we been selfish, dishonest, or inconsiderate? And then the next column will be number one, which is whom did we hurt? And the next column will be the third column. Did we unjustifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, or bitterness? So baby number three before did. Ba or number three, sorry, before did. And the baby number four after bitterness before where, where were we at fault? And a baby number five after fault before what should we have done instead? So basically, your first column is going to be who is on your list? Who did you have relationship interaction with through your whole life from beginning till today? The second column at the top, you're going to write, where did I arouse jealousy? Uh, where was I selfish, dishonest, and inconsiderate? And then when you write down, you're going to write down, I was jealous. So write jealous. And then how were you jealous? Okay, I was inconsiderate or I was uh, dishonest. So you write the word dishonest and how you were dishonest or how you were inconsiderate. And there's going to be a lot of writing in this. The thing about this part of the fucking inventory process is this stuff in this process will reveal so much shit about your life. So it takes, it's good to take your time and do this thoroughly and write down the words like selfish, dishonest and inconsiderate. And not like make abbreviations and shit. Because as you write down selfish 300 fucking times, you'll see that you're fucking selfish. And if you write dishonest like 400 times, it's going to click in your head like, holy shit, am I not very honest here? Right? And then you're going to write down how you were not, you know, how you were dishonest or how you were selfish or how you were inconsiderate. The thing about doing some of this work, like writing out how you were inconsiderate, now you're fucking telling on yourself, right? You're writing down shit you would never fucking write down. You would never tell somebody. These are the kinds of things when you go to talk to somebody about your relationship, those are the things you fucking keep coasting. You don't tell people. Your blame is always on them. So if you want to grow, like it said at the end of that last paragraph, you're going to swallow some big chunks of fucking truth about yourself. 
no more self-delusion, right? If you want to grow in your life and if you want to not drink, these things are fucking imperative to be doing. And like most people in this world will never fucking do an inventory like this. Most people in this world will have fucking relationship troubles their whole fucking life and they will repeat the same patterns in the same relationships over and over and over and over because they don't know what the fuck is actually going on. So we are so lucky to have an ability to see the patterns of our lives to fucking. So don't think like outing yourself on where you're inconsiderate, where you're selfish or dishonest is anything bad. Because if you want to fucking grow, it's a necessity. And when we talk about humility as the cornerstone principle of recovery, humility is three phases. Well, first phase is humiliation. Second phase is humble through pain, but you have a desire to seek and do God's will. The first phase of humiliation is kind of what we're talking about. Who wants to admit where I'm inconsiderate? Where was I selfish? Maybe I was selfish because I fucking smacked my old lady around. Maybe I was inconsiderate because I was fucking abusive, verbally abusive. That shit needs to be outed here, right? And dishonest, not only with them, but with myself. Maybe the dishonesty was like, I didn't even fucking want to be with her. Maybe I didn't fucking like her. But I stayed with, with her. Why? Because she had fucking mad bank account, man. She had fucking big fucking, you know, and a nice fucking, and I fucking love that shit on my arm. But I didn't like her personality. So I got to be honest with myself, right? And see, like, what's causing my failure. I'm hanging on to, like, the last 20 years, all my women I fucking never really liked, but they all had fake tits and a nice ass. But I got nowhere, and I'm fucking still single, and I fucking hate myself. Like, looking at these things is really important, right? And a lot of women have their issues on why they stay in relationships. And most women, like, they will make relationships fucking God. And if this inventory is done right, women will see, holy shit, have I ever sold myself short for just trying to be with a guy who I thought was going to protect me? But no, man, I'm not doing that anymore, right? So that's why also, like, staying single in early recovery is so important. So you can actually see this shit and go, holy fuck, I need to work on some shit here. And then as we become, you know, we do the five and then we become willing to have these things removed in step six, we work on this stuff hard with God. And then what happens? We become self-supporting to our own contribution. We become actually confident in our own self based on our relationship with God and the truth. Now I can get in a relationship and not have that same pattern. As soon as that pattern starts, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I spent the last 20 years with a guy saying that already or a girl saying that already. What do you mean? You mean I should be staying at home fucking cooking meals for you all day? I don't fucking think so, right? But maybe he didn't mean it like that. Maybe that's my trauma. So I got to ask him, right? Or whatever the deal is. So we got to like be aware and then be able to go, fuck, you know what? No, this has been a great couple months of dating you, but uh, I don't, I don't like your ass. Yeah. I don't like your ass. Um, I do it the same way that he does with the columns and stuff. However, when I'm setting this up with somebody, I say like the relationship and the breakup, because there's so much that comes out of a person's conduct in the breakup. 
like the manipulations and the like all those things that people can miss if they're not also considering their behaviors after the breakup. No, I just when I'm setting it up, it's like, okay, so we're going to talk about the relationship. And then I put in like and put in brackets and the breakup. So, so I'll like, always talk about the breakup, mm -hmm. but I talk about it in the step five. Because it's important to see how you break up with people. <laughs> That's really important too. The early ones are important too. So like if a guy's like dating a chick in grade five and they're like just kissing friends and whatever, I want to know like what color hair they had, how long you dated, how you got together. Was it a note? Was it your friend? Did you get into the relationship out of peer pressure because your other friends were dating? And how did you break up? Right? Because a lot of people won't really tell you how they break up in those ones because the breakups aren't really, they're not important that much, but they actually are. Because all of the things in the early relationships are so important, okay? Because in the early relationships is where, okay, I shared the story where I found my uncle's porn magazine in grade three under his bed and I started watching, looking at the porn magazine. And then I started treating my girlfriend in grade five like an object. And then I watched porn on my uncle's computer in grade six and now I'm treating her more like an object. Now I'm actually cheating on her in grade six and seven. I'm starting early and I'm treating her like a possession. And like, well, how did you guys get along? Well, I fucking want her to do this and do that. And like a lot of the things that play out at 40 and 50 years old, they start in that fucking junior high area. So it's really important, I think, for us to go back there. And the breaks up, the breakups are important as well. See, that is all the question was witnessing your parents' relationship. Like, dude, that's so important, which is why in the step five, as a sponsor, I need, when I do a step five, we'll get more into this next week and we'll probably go a little bit over time tonight. So hopefully you guys can handle that, maybe 15 minutes because we want to finish this up. But in the step five, um, when I do a five, I'm going way back into their mom and dad's relationship and even their grandpa's. Because I need, we need to connect all the dots in the beginning of this so that when we go through your whole life, we can see where things started. And the parents' relationship, your parents' relationship are massively important because you're going to base a lot of your life on how they are, whether you liked it or not. You might do the exact same thing as them or you fucking do the exact opposite of them. And a lot of people try to do the opposite and end up doing the exact same, right? So identifying those things and like you might have serious resentments against your parents for whatever reason. But as we talk about the whole lives of your parents too, you go, holy fuck, they went through all that. Wow. That must've been hard. And then, so your compassion now builds for the people that you hated on your resentment list. But I always spend like two hours talking about your whole family history how your mom got along with you, how your mom got along with your brother, how you got along with your brother, how your mom got along with your sister. What are the age differences? Your mom's dad, was he in the army? Did they come from Czechoslovakia? Did they come from Romania? Like all these things matter because the dynamics in marriages play out in the family. Were they alcoholic? Did they work on the railroad? Were they farmers? Like these things all matter in the like, history of like our lives like for me it was indian i had a lot of indian family 
And then I had, my grandpa was in the war. My grandma had 13 kids. So my mom was one of 13 kids who tried to get noticed. And then maybe it was boys that noticed her. Like, you know, all these things all matter in the step five. Which is why we'll talk about this again next week. Or yeah, next week. Okay. Okay, fourth column. Where were we at faults? So now we're bringing some of our faults in the hair. Where did we make harms? What did we do for harm? Okay. Okay, so where were we at fault? What did, what did I do in this relationship? Well, I can see from my dishonesty, selfishness, and my inconsiderateness, I can see where I was at fault. Right? Even though I already wrote where I can see where I was at fault through the other two columns, now I write down where I was at fault. And I start detailing that out, even though I've identified it in the previous columns. And then it goes to <coughs> what should we have done instead? Now you write out what should you have done instead. So in my first set of steps, I had a lot of stuff that you guys did to me and the world did to me and how I was. I could see the fourth column. But in my second set of steps in my sex conduct, I really tried to be honest. It was funny. I was talking with Janine earlier today and we're, she had mentioned somebody that she knows who said, you know, I was just being honest. I'm just being honest and sharing part of their, their conduct. And then that, that rung a bell with me because I remember in my first year and a half, I was uh, not the best with my sex conduct, but I thought I was being honest. So I, I rationalized it that it was okay because I was being honest with these women. But really, when I looked at it and I went through it with my sponsor, I was being dishonest because I knew that I was not going to be with them. But I would always say, yeah, well, maybe we could be together. But I just gave them false hope. False hope. So the thing on my sex conduct in that second set of steps was false hope should have stayed away, should have been honest. False hope should have stayed away, should have been honest. False hope should have stayed away, should have been honest. That was my whole pattern of my second set of steps. And where was I at fault? I should have been honest. I should have fucking told the truth. I should have, you know, talked to my pillars and my sponsor and fucking, you know. So we got this all down on paper and we looked at it. So once this is all down on paper and you've worked with your sponsor, now you fucking write out a safe and sound sex ideal, relationship ideal. Most people in the program will never do this, okay? A lot of sponsors don't even know of this, but it says right here, in this way, you shape a sane and ide sane ide ideal for your future sex life. Okay, because it's important. We're going to pause and do it next week because we don't want to rush. Okay. So yeah, we'll uh, do our safe and sound sex ideal next week. And then we'll go through the rest of this and do the step five. We will get through the whole step five next week. Okay.